Hello, welcome to What Do You Know Podcast. Our topic for today is going to be the war in Ukraine, Russia, and the history of Vladimir Putin. The the U.S. is doing one of the things they do best, throwing money at a situation. Um, Was it just today it was approved to send Ukraine $4.5 billion in aid? Yeah. Um, We keep sending them more weapons. Sending them more weapons. Um, I mean, the there's nothing more the U.S. Love to, loves to do than give other countries weapons, yeah. especially the smaller countries. And, and I will say this, the Ukrainian Foreign Legion as well is, is bolstered all to hell. Oh, yeah. I mean, there were, I think, reports from a couple of months ago um, were somewhere in the realm of, like, 16,000 foreign troops that had just come to Ukraine. A lot of them former American soldiers. Like, oh, yeah. There were tons of veterans that were like, yeah, we want a piece of that action. <laughs> um, and there were there were actually a couple of... There were three British SAS soldiers that went AWOL to go join this foreign legion. And when they came back, they were absolutely court-martialed. <laughs> like, yeah. Uh, they're actually... I'm really impressed with a lot of the uh, prominent Ukrainian figures... There have been several Ukrainian boxers, like world-class Ukrainian boxers, including uh, Lomachenko, that they just hung up their gloves, picked up a rifle, and they're going. They're in it, man. And the president as well, he was like, I don't need a ride. I need a gun. Yes. Zelensky has proven to be... um, a certified badass with like balls of steel. Um, and uh, real quick before we get on to this, though, I also want to say another thing America really loves to do: mm. get into pissing contests with Russia. Yeah, um, and it didn't. It, that didn't start with with like the Cold War. That started way back before World way, War One. Yeah, like we've been in a pissing contest with Russia for a long time. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I'm not surprised that a, a ton of American former soldiers went to join. Yeah. Like, no. Russia is like the comic book villain to America. And let me tell you, our grandparents are livid about it. Because they spent decades in a cold war with Russia where we were not allowed to fire on Russian troops. And then their grandsons are going off and fighting in some foreign legion where they get to kill actual commies. They are pissed they're like man i want me some of that action i you're you're just a little bit younger than me so you might still remember it too i'm a year younger than you how old are you i'm 29 i'm 32 what yeah you are not three years older than me i just turned 32 you're a liar (laughs) you're what one you were one grade behind me yeah okay no, two grades. You were you were with you graduated with my sister. Yeah. 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 Two grades. Right. Two grades. And I was held back one year. You're a liar. Thirty-two. <laughs> um, I am thirty-two, but I feel like sixty sometimes. Mm. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> fucking, I I sleep wrong and wake up and my neck hurts. <laughs> but you you might still remember it. I remember when I was in elementary school. We still had the drill where we hit under the desk. Oh, yeah. 
And that was a holdover from the Cold War. Yeah, I remember those. We stopped doing those about third grade, but I did them up until about that time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, or I even remember, and sometimes they'll be done as like tornado or earthquake drills too, um, where you go into like the hallway, cover the back of your neck. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that's a holdover from like the Cold War, and that just shows you how ingrained our feud with Russia is. Yeah, it runs deep. It man. runs deep. And that's the main reason why there's so much political animosity towards socialism and communism from a lot of conservatives is because of this anti-Russian sentiment. Which, to be fair, in all actuality, socialism and communism are functionally impossible to operate as they are intended. Humanity is just not mature enough to have that type of government without instituting a totalitarian, total authoritarian government. So I get it. And full disclosure for those of you that might be curious about my political affiliations, I am not a socialist, I am not a communist, I actively oppose those ideologies. But I'm also not, like, a laissez-faire capitalist either. I don't believe that any of those extremes are going to be our, our, are going to be our savior, right? So, but communism and socialism, specifically those holdovers, are strictly because of Russia. Yeah. And a little Um, bit because of China, but mostly Russia. I, I will say, uh, when it comes to, like, the ideas of socialism and communism... Where I stand is essentially like Star Trek is the dream we should aspire to. It is what we should work towards. Doesn't mean it'll happen now or anytime soon, but it's a goal, mm-hmm. and I think it's important to have that kind of that that goal, that idea in mind. Um, and I think there are at least now certain ideas and um, maybe traits that we do and and should try to adopt like in a sense a lot of state-run programs like public roads public schools these are all in a sense a a socialist idea that we've made well kind of work in the US um, and that's kind of where I stand on the whole idea of socialism and communism. They're, they're ideas, their goals, their theories. And yeah, we should probably work towards that, you know, perfect utopian idea. But it's not going to be an overnight thing. It's not something we try, should try to institute right now. It's something we should bit by bit gradually get to. And I think with the increases in technology, we will get there someday. You want to hear something... So I'm, I'm going to let you guys in on a little secret, right? The idea of public health care or public transportation or any public service like that, right? Free public education, even free public like college education, all that stuff. None of that, absolutely none of that is actually socialist or communist in any way. What it is is it is an investment in the public health. And you can absolutely have a 
full capitalist nation that has public services that are publicly funded. Because the idea behind, the, the separation between what is and isn't in the realm of capitalism, right? Or what is and isn't in the realm of socialism, whatever. Capitalism, socialism, they are, they are economic theories, right? But with capitalism, the government is completely separate from the economy. Whatever is and is not in the economy is not determined by the government. It's determined by the people, right? So we can at any moment say healthcare is no longer a part of the economy. And under a capitalist government, or excuse me, a capitalist society, right, with a capitalist economy, if healthcare is removed from the economy, it no longer is subject to the rules of capitalism, therefore we can publicize it. And we can get it out of the private sector. The only reason why we have ingrained in our minds the idea that public education and public healthcare and public transportation, all of these things, are socialist or that they fall under the rules of capitalism is because we make money off of everything but we don't have to no if something isn't profitable or if it doesn't have to be profitable it doesn't have to play by those rules and at any point in time we as a society can just cut that whole hog but we have monetized everything in america and that is well in the world actually and that is very much on purpose that is very much on purpose because these people, these early capitalists, and even before them, you know, early mercantilism and, you know, things like that, and when these societies were first starting up, they started up as private organizations because there was a need in the market. There was a need of the people. And the best way for these people to get these needs was to have some citizen come up with an idea and say, let's do this, right? And whether or not the government latched onto it or not was their choice. So the idea that a public healthcare system cannot exist in a capitalist in a capitalist nation is incorrect and is actually absurd. Yeah. We just choose to live in this bubble where either it's all capitalist and it's all private organization, or it's all government run you know, socialist, whatever. That's not true. No. It's never been true. And that's the thing. A, a nation doesn't have to be one or the other. We can have mixed economies. That's what we, we have, have right a mixed economy. A mixed economy right now. And the mixed economy, again, it's not a mixture of capitalism and socialism. What it is, is it is a regulated market economy. It is a essentially capitalist nation with government control over the market. So it's technically not capitalist in the idea that like capitalism relies on complete government separation. Yeah. But we go based off of the rules of capitalism with that market competition and you know everything like that. So like the mixed economy is, in my opinion, the best kind of economy that you're going to get as long as there are enough regulations in place and as yes. long as those regulations are able to be enforced properly. Because without these regulations, we don't have things like weekends or the FDA, or we don't have, like, you, you, there's still lead in your water and still yeah. pinky fingers in your meat. Like, come on now, you don't want that. You want regulation. I promise you, you do. <laughs> yeah. Um, and 
the great thing too about having mixed economy is if you want to start uh, some form of like a true like socialist business, you can. If you want your employees to have a share in the total like profit of the company and not just oh you paid them this much and you keep everything yourself, you can definitely do that. Yeah. Profit sharing is not fairly common, but it's common enough. Yeah, I mean, and then like we even have like a local co-op where the people who shop there can volunteer to work there. They have, as long as they're a member, they have a stake in the company um, and everything like that. And again, a lot of those ideas come from socialism. Um, and like, that's what I'm saying. We can easily, if even if we never achieve the Star Trek utopia, we can at least take some of these ideas and find ways to make them work in a mixed economy. Yeah. I think the one thing that's holding us back from that right now... Money. No, it's not money, actually. <laughs> it, it's, not, I, it's not actually money. What it is, is we cannot control how much we consume. And I mean, like, we as in, like, people. Like, not just, like, you know, the elites or whatever. We as people cannot control how much we consume. We do not have the discipline. We do not have the altruism. We do not have the mental and physical maturity as a species to not drain the well dry. If you give, if tomorrow you said money is no longer a thing, everything in the world is free, all we have to do is we have to make sure that we can produce enough things, we wouldn't physically be able to because the demand would skyrocket production would not be able to keep up. Even if everybody was working, if everybody was doing their part, the demand would just go through the roof. Yeah. There's physically not enough stuff to appease, to appease, to appease everybody based on what we are right now. Yeah. So it's not the lack of money or the whatever it is. It's literally we are not mature enough as a species to not overconsume. That's a fair point. Um, I think as technology advances, we might get closer than that, but I also think it's just going to be time as a species until we it's, get there. It's cultural. It yeah. really is. It's, it's, it's a cultural thing, in my opinion. You know, we are a consumer economy. That's what we do, right? Right. Until we evolve beyond consumerism, which are in some ways is never going to go away. I mean, you know, you're always going to be a consumer of something. You always need food. You always need entertainment. You always need things, right? Right. So, but we're never really going to get away from being a consumer economy. But until we get away from being what we are now as a consumer economy, it's never going to change. And we're never going to be able to live that up. No. I do believe it's going to happen. Oh, yeah. Eventually, it's going to happen. Will we live long enough to see that day? Will we as a species, I mean, live long enough to see that day? We'll probably die in nuclear fire before then, or burn up from global warming, or just... I mean, if neither of those happens, who knows? Maybe Bezos will get a, a get a, a, a kind bone in his body from his uh, longevity therapeutics, and maybe he'll let everyone be immortal. God. <laughs> I just, I love the face you make every time I bring up his name. <laughs> Bezos. If you don't, 
if you haven't listened to our, our, our podcast on billionaires, go back and do that because the face that I'm making right now about Bezos will make a lot more sense. You can't see my face, but like, just, oh my God. <laughs> okay. Anyway, back to Ukraine and Russia. Yes. So I do want to start talking about like the conflict proper in Ukraine and Russia. So we've been talking about like the context of it, the history of it and everything sure. like that. Let's get into what's actually happening. Right, a couple of things that I wanted to talk about. I want to talk about some of the more like you know myth and mystery of the Ukraine conflict. First thing I'm going to talk about. You've heard of the ghost of Kiev. Yes. The ghost of Kiev. For those of you that might not know, this was one day after the invasion happened, and there were reports of this fighter pilot known as the ghost of Kiev. He had shot down six Russian aircraft within the span of 24 hours. It would have made him, if the, if the allegations are true, it would have made him the first modern ace pilot, the first European ace pilot since World War II, and probably the single deadliest aviator in the world today. <laughs> The reports are unconfirmed, obviously, because, you know, the conflict's still going on. There were reports a couple of weeks later that he would, like, been shot down and recovered and all that. So, like, none of this is... None of this has been officially confirmed. But damn, do I want to believe. Yeah. I want to believe in the ghost of Kiev. Oh, man. Um... And I, I think there was a good chance that one is actually an urban legend. Yeah, I think so. I, honestly, I think it was propaganda. It was could probably a lot morale of these. Boost. Yeah, it was. It was probably a good morale boost, and it worked. It worked, man. It oh man! Did. I mean, that doesn't um, change the fact that, especially in those early days, the number of Russian deaths was well above the number of Ukrainian deaths. The Russians were... Okay, in the early days of the invasion, the Russians were absolutely getting their asses kicked. They were wholeheartedly unprepared. And there were two main reasons for this, right? First main reason was that the Russian troops had no direction. No. There was absolutely... A lot of them didn't even know that they had entered into Ukrainian territory when they started taking contact. So they were like, what the hell is going on? There was no direction from the top. The generals were just telling people to move and they weren't telling them what's going on. Everything was just chaos as far as the Russians were concerned. The second reason why the Russians were getting their asses kicked so much is because the Russian army is a conscript army. You're getting young 17, 18, 19 year old kids who get, what is it, like 13 weeks of training in the Russian basic training regiment and then they get thrown into their unit, and then they have no idea what they're doing, they've never been to combat before, and they're scared because most of them don't want to be there. So you throw them into a conflict where you have an entire country full of people literally fighting for their own homeland, and it's like throwing a chihuahua against a bulldog. Like, the chihuahua doesn't know what he's doing, he's scared, he's tiny, he's fragile, and then this bulldog just comes barking up at him, and yeah, you're gonna run, you're gonna be scared shitless. I would be too. Yeah. Especially if I didn't even want to be there. No way. Absolutely yeah. not. No. 
And so then, it took a minute for the Russians to get their feet on the ground because they weren't expecting the fight. And they had no they were just thrown into it and the fighting was intense from the start. It was trial by fire for a lot of young Russian soldiers. So um, yeah. Uh, yeah. And it, it's kind of it was kind of the opposite when all this started for Ukraine because Zelensky was saying, you know, he wasn't stopping anyone from leaving Ukraine, but he was saying, I'm lifting all restrictions on what it is to uh, what you need to do to join the the military to fight for home. Young, old, if you come, we'll let you fight. It was literally, if you can hold a gun, you can fight. Like <laughs> you are allowed to fight. Yeah, but he wasn't conscripting it <coughs> in that sense. He wasn't just saying, oh, nope, you're a soldier now. Um, which, I, I love that kind of uh, juxtaposition between the two. Yeah. Um, and I want to take a moment to recognize the... <laughs> those amazing people, the guardsmen from the State Border Guard service of Ukraine on Snake Island. Snake Island. Yes. Oh. I, I love they received the transmission from the Russian naval warship requesting surrender or threatening bombardment. And the Ukrainian border guard responds, Russian warship, go fuck yourself. Oh, They man. did sadly lose their lives. But fucking A. The Balls, man. I mean, because at that point, so there were 13 soldiers, right? There yes, were 13, 13 of border those dudes yes. that were stationed at that at that border patrol. They knew they had no chance. No. And they also knew that the Russians, if they captured them, were not going to treat them well. So at that point, I mean, speaking as a former soldier, speaking as somebody who has thought, I've never been put in that situation, but who's been, who has thought about what would happen if... I were to become a POW, it's not pretty. And you're just like, at that point, you're just like, fuck it, I've already, I've already decided if I'm gonna die, I'm gonna go out on my own terms. What better way to do it than to just be remembered as a badass throughout history? And this is awesome as well. In honor of them, they create, Ukraine uh, created a postage stamp of a Ukrainian soldier Flipping off the Russian warship. Yep. Oh, man. They put that on a stamp. The soldier giving the finger uh, to the Russian warship. And I've got to say, that's probably the best stamp ever. Yeah. There are, like, no shortage of just Ukrainian badass stories. There was the one... I know you heard about this. Old woman. Unnamed old woman walks up to a couple of Russian soldiers that are just standing there. They've, like, occupied a building or something like that, and they you know, clearing the streets of civilians and otherwise just doing what the Russian military is going to do. And this sweet little old lady walks up, and she starts putting sunflower seeds into the pockets of the Russian soldiers. And the Russian soldiers are like, what, what are you doing? And she goes, this is for when you die so that something beautiful may sprout from your dead corpse. Yup. Now, for those of you that don't know, sunflowers are very special in Ukraine. They're, um, Ukraine has a ton of sunflower seed production. 
Um, they make sunflower seed oil and they export a lot of sunflower seed material and stuff like that. So sunflower seeds are like the flower of Ukraine and this little old lady just putting sunflower seeds in the pockets of Russian soldiers so that they can sprout when they die is just the most metal thing I've ever heard. Yeah. Um, they just... The fucking Ukraine has been through so much over the past three, four hundred years. Like, I, I think they're just finally sick. Yeah, their, their, their give-a-fuck meter is just rock bottom at the moment. Yeah. The only fucks they give are the fingers they flip off to the Russian warships. Yep. Yeah. There was also, there were reports, and these came from mostly memes, and I barely did a little bit of digging into it, but there were reports that there was actually a Ukrainian sniper called the Reaper of Kiev. Kind of like the Ghost of Kiev as well, but the Reaper of Kiev. And this Russian, or this uh, Ukrainian sniper reportedly had over 25 confirmed kills within the first 24 hours of the conflict, which is insane. That is a ridiculous number of confirmed kills, even for a sniper. That is crazy. Again, it came from memes. I didn't do any actual research on it, but like, if it's true, man. Because that one, I I would believe a little more. But it is still probably ghost. more propaganda. Yeah. Um, because we have seen uh, amazing snipers just kind of pop out of nowhere during wartime. Yeah. Um, there was a... <sighs> what was that one guy who was known as the White Death? The White Death, yeah. Yeah. Uh, he had, what, like 500 kills? Something ridiculous like that. Yeah. Just some um, dude hiding out in the trees. Just, like, <laughs> popping away. Yeah. Oh, so, I mean, I, I wouldn't be surprised if that one does turn out to be to be true. Yeah. But again, I want to believe, but it is, again, probably just propaganda. Probably. Which, that, for those of you that might be wondering, right, we're talking about Little tiny Ukraine, relatively speaking. Little tiny Ukraine against big old Russia. The Russian military outnumbers the entire population of Ukraine, probably. So they need all of the morale that they can get. Ukraine's not as small as some people think, but no, it is still pretty small. It's, it's, again, relatively speaking, it's small compared to Russia, right? And so, like, but even just from a numbers perspective, it's if it were just a numbers game, Russia's got it, no problem. The problem that Russians having is one, their logistics are shit. They cannot equip their military outside of their own borders. Um, and two, they're throwing inexperienced young soldiers out into the midst and they're fighting a war that they don't want to fight. You can't get people to perform at that level, at any level of effectiveness, if they don't want to be there. And the Ukrainians are just, well, they were at least just mopping the floor with them. Yeah. The tides have since, not necessarily turned, but they've evened. The the, the gap has kind of yeah. shrunk, but um, <clears throat> especially Kiev is still holding on strong. Yes. Well, Kiev is the capital. Yeah. So. Uh, Russia's tr been trying to close in on it, but yeah, it's very slow going. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the thing that's giving Russia the main advantage right now has been their artillery. 
because they can strike into Ukraine, Ukraine cannot necessarily strike into Russia, which has been a problem. There have been some reported successful strikes on Russian soil, specifically that one um, Russian oil production site, uh, but that was way back in like March, April time frame. Right. I don't know. If, I haven't heard of any back. I haven't heard of anything uh, since then. But again, the problem is just that Russia can hit Ukraine. Ukraine can't hit Russia. So, if it were just those factors, it's just a matter of time. Yeah. But of course, more complicated than that. So. Yeah. We see. We and uh, you know, again, I, I want to give you know the accommodations to. Zelensky because he is you know even when there was fighting at Kiev he did not flee he stayed in Kiev oh yeah um, he only left to make certain political appearances and then he came right back yeah yeah <clears throat> and just well that's not true he left to go try to muster allies and then left and then right right uh, but the thing is, he keeps coming back. Yeah. And when he does leave, it's not, oh, I'm on vacation. It's, no, I'm trying to get us help. You know, there's pictures of him, while you hear gunfire going, walking the streets. You know, making sure everyone is good, helping out. I think at one point he was even, you know, on the lines firing back. Um, but, you know, it's not every day you see a country's leader actually out on the field like yeah. that. Um, you will never see Putin on the field like that. You no. will never see one of the U.S. presidents anywhere near a battlefield. Yeah. I. The last president that I think might have actually joined the fight, probably Teddy, honestly. Because he was a veteran, right? Yeah. I mean... You know, so was Bush and all that, but Bush, he was an Air Force pilot, right? Right. So, you know, and not to, no disrespect against Air Force pilots or anything like that. They definitely get into the shit, but like, I don't think Bush would have, I don't think Bush would have actually no. gone into it and picked up a rifle and started fighting. But Teddy probably would have. Teddy, Teddy probably would have. <laughs> um, Grant, if another war had started off, probably would have. Maybe. Uh, I mean, he fought in, you know, Civil War. And yeah. I Honestly, I think he just liked to fight. Uh, he, he was a bar brawler, too. Yeah. Um, Jackson, too. He was... Jackson was crazy. Jackson was crazy. He yeah. would definitely fought. Jackson was a super villain. Yeah. Let's face oh, it. Oh, 100%. Batman. Yeah. That's another story. We'll talk about Jackson. Later. Yeah. Anyway. We, we definitely yeah. have to talk about Jackson's dark history yeah um because he probably would have shot you and had a picnic on your corpse like he was that deranged but yeah no i don't think there's any any modern president any president living now american president living now you would have never called them out there no and you're definitely not gonna catch putin out there either (laughs) no no never uh (sighs) maybe in a safe area shirtless on a horse but yeah. Never actually had a bear. On a bear. Yeah. That is a cool picture, though, I'm not gonna lie. Yeah, but like, like, to me, it just screams, I'm insecure. Yeah. Oh, it's definitely. It's 100% like a. a it's like, Putin, put your tiny little man tits back in. Like. 
We get uh, it. Like, you're a tough guy. Not not to shame your body or anything like that, but you're just you're you're kind of making a fool of yourself because you're trying to be overly masculine. You know, he's a man's man. Yeah. Again, he's, I don't think he's all there, so. I, I didn't get a chance to read uh, some of the articles I was seeing. Um, and I don't know why it just popped in my head. But there were reports that we are now finding out that uh, Trump was trying to flush sensitive documents. Yeah, I don't know. It was something I saw. I need to look into it. I think because we're talking about things that have been reported but not confirmed. Right. I, it caught, uh, popped up into my mind. But I saw a couple articles talking about that they like try to like either flush them or burn them. or. Okay, burning them? Yeah, that'd be effective. Flushing them? No. N- no. No. Jesus. I, I mean, I don't know. Anyway. I, I want to look into that because if that's true, that's absolutely hilarious. Sad, but hilarious. Sad, but hilarious. That, that accurately seems to describe a lot of things about America today. Yes. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the Ukrainian soldiers just in general have been putting up an amazing fight. And we've actually been seeing a lot of... Uh, even, even now, it's not as publicized but it's still getting a lot of support i know just like a month ago ben stiller actually flew out there to meet uh Zelensky. yeah wow yeah. that's okay yeah he flew out there i'm like all right okay okay go ahead ben yeah for whatever reason i i think he brought whatever aid he could but really it's just been a kind of a slow burn with the war, we had um, an incident when Russia got over to Chernobyl. Mm-hmm. Um, luckily, the reactor stayed. Yeah, yeah. There, so the, the elephant foot did not escape. Yeah, there's um, again for those of you that don't know, um, the Russian artilleries had hit several reactors, specifically one of them being Chernobyl, which is the largest nuclear reactor, um, and. Thankfully, the reactor was able to stay stable. The um, Russian, or excuse me, the the Ukrainian uh, workers were forced to evacuate during the bombardment, but everything stayed stable enough to where they could come back. But at that point, the Russians occupied the plant. Um, The power or control over the plant has exchanged a couple of times. I believe now it is still under Russian control, uh, but I could be wrong. Um, there are several power plants, several nuclear power plants that have been captured by Russians, but the hand, the the control of these stations just keeps changing because nuclear power is incredibly important. So the Ukrainians are going to keep fighting for it, and the Russians are going to keep fighting for it. So it's going to go back and forth. But I do believe right now that several of the power plants, including the one at Chernobyl, are under Russian control. Yeah, um, and. Um was it the Zaporizhia yeah. nuclear power plant was in the news today? Again? Mm-hmm. Um, Zelensky, of course, 
or Ukraine saying Russia's create, uh, committing nuclear terrorism against the power plant. Yeah. Oh, that's... All right. And that includes actions aimed at disrupting, sabotaging, or manipulating operations at the plant that could lead to the release of radioactivity. Yeah. You brought up the idea of terrorism. We got to talk about the war crimes allegations. Because yes. there, it is an unfortunate reality of war, especially a war as personal as this one. There have been a lot of confirmed and a lot of reported war crimes happening from Russians attacking civilians, Ukrainians killing Russian POWs, Russians using school children as, as essentially meat shields, not like, you know, holding them like right. in front of them as they're firing or anything, but they like occupied a school filled with school children and there was active engagements in the school. Um, there's Straight been a up. lot. Bombing a school, straight up bombing a school, and it was a it was a school, and there was a maternity hospital as well. Yes, um, and re just residential buildings, residential areas in general. There's there's been a lot of again both confirmed and unconfirmed war crimes that have been happening on both sides. Ukraine is not; uh, they are not innocent in this. Russia is definitely not innocent in this, and we owe it to the people that have been the victims of this to talk about it and give it the brevity that it deserves. Yeah. Because... Um, and it's one of those hard things. Like, sometimes when you fight such a... Mo like, a, a monster... You have to be careful not to become just as bad. You know, you stare into the void, the void stares back. We had to say who takes the lion's share of the blame? Russia. It's like, they're, yes, they're both committing war crimes. Uh, but it's harder to, ex like, it, it's inexcusable no matter what. But it's harder to even try to excuse it, excuse it when you are such a Goliath fighting a David. There's there's definitely, Russia definitely bears a bit more of the responsibility. I would say they're, it's almost as if like the best analogy that I come up with is like Russia should know better, right? Yes. And given the formality of the Russian military, given their extensive military history and given just everything to do with the Russian military, yeah, we know Russia is going to commit war crimes. Like, that's just a given. But we also know that they definitely should not be. Especially if they were, you know, one of the key figures in the Human Rights Council. Like, right. that's not... That's not okay. The biggest thing, the biggest war crime that Russia has been accused of committing has been the assault on civilians and the assault on children, specifically. Yes. Um, which, again, for those of you that may not know, Rules exist in war. War has rules. Yes. One of those rules, which was instituted after World War II, uh, actually it was technically after World War I, but it was really hammered down after World War II, was that when you go to war with a country, you are at war with the country's military. You are not to target civilians. Civilian areas that are occupied by military 
can be targeted, but you have to make sure that all civilians are outside of the area. Russia has not been doing that. Um, they have not been confirming that civilians are outside of areas when they're hitting them. They have actively been engaging in, they've been accused at least of actively engaging in shelling bombardments of civilian occupied areas during civilian evacuations. The civilian death toll in Ukraine has reached the thousands. Uh, that is just what's been confirmed by outside sources. God only knows what's actually, what the actual death toll is. Um, there's just no excuse. Russia can absolutely fight this war without endangering the lives of innocent civilians. And the Ukrainians, on the flip side of that, most of the war crimes that the Ukrainians have been accused of committing have been against Russian POWs. Um, there are rules protecting prisoners of war, uh, one of which is that as soon as you take a prisoner of war, you are responsible for their health and safety. You must treat them as if they are a bona fide prisoner. They are no longer a combatant, which means you cannot engage them in combat. You cannot beat them. You have to treat them humanely and fairly. And once again, we harken back to the idea that these are essentially just kids. Kids that have been conscripted into the military and thrown into a war. They don't want to fight. They are scared. They are untrained, they are unprepared for the realities of war, and the Ukrainians are killing them after they've been captured because of the animosity that exists between Ukraine and Russia. There's no excuse. No. And even not even those kids deserve that. Because, I'm sorry, like, I get it, the Russian military is a big, bad beast of an entity, but the end of the day these are still people and if you are a scared 18 year old kid who just got shipped off to war that you didn't even know was happening and all of a sudden you are being abused and shot dead while you're handcuffed after witnessing all of your buddies get killed there's nothing absolutely nothing that could justify that no. I do have to... I do wonder, too, how much of the Ukrainian fighting force is made up of uh, just civilians that have volunteered. Um, not that it excuses the actions, but I could also see... Like, I mean, it's it's still a dick move no matter what. Yeah. But I could see a civilian who just picked up a rifle for the first time not knowing there are rules to war. Um, it does... And, and that's... And I think that's a big reason, too, why I say Russia deserves the lion's share. It's like all your forces, be it they be it that they're conscripted, are officially part of your military. Train them better. Yeah. I mean, that might not be good for the rest of the world, but train them better. Yeah. They, they should know the rules to the war. 
it, it does complicate things when you have such a large volunteer force that doesn't get the proper military training. They just get thrown in trial by fire. That does tend to complicate things. Yeah. However, according to the rules of war, the minute that you pick up a gun and you start fighting officially for, insert, random military here, you are a combatant. Yes. And you are no longer considered a civilian and you no longer have those protections. You are considered a combatant. So there are different rules that apply to you. I, I, more or less I bring it up just to kind of bring up the fact that like when, if all of this is over and when or if anyone on either side is actually held accountable for their actions. I think that's something that also needs to be taken into consideration when judging like the people of Ukraine. Right. Um, not that it excuses it, but to help bring understanding, context, and clarity. Yeah. Um, but with that being said, even if or when all of this is over, I can't say for certain about Ukraine, but I can almost guarantee you nothing will happen with Russia. This is not the first time that Russian soldiers have been accused of war crimes. No. Um, there was actually, uh, during the Crimean uh, incident, um, there were accusations of Russian soldiers, excuse me, Russian soldiers that were um, impersonating Ukrainian citizens and Ukrainian civilians that were supposed to be pro-Russian forces that were picking up arms and fighting for the Russians against Ukrainian active duty military, which is also a war crime. It is illegal for any soldier to not declare that they are a soldier. You cannot impersonate a civilian or impersonate an enemy soldier. And you cannot feign um, being a prisoner. Like once, uh, once you have laid down your weapon, if you pick it back up and ambush the enemy, that's a war crime. So once you have decided that you are no longer fighting, you're done. And once you put away your uniform, if you continue to fight, then that's a war crime. So, this is not, again, you know, just for context, this is not the first time that Russia has been accused of these war crimes in Ukraine specifically. It's it's not going to happen. It's not going to, like you said, nothing's going to happen. Yeah. Right? Because nothing happened during Crimea as well. So. Yeah, and I, I think that's the one of the biggest things the, the rest of the world is kind of failing at is you know, holding them accountable in any sort of way. Yeah, the International Crimes Court has never been good at that. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's, it is admittedly very difficult to hold a country accountable for what they do during war, especially to hold individuals accountable for what they do during war, because when you're in an army, in a conventional army, you are one of... 10,000 people and one of 10,000 people could easily be could easily be confused with somebody else especially in the heat of the moment right so like it's like finding a needle in a stack of needles um 
with the with the amount of technology that we have now, the documentation, things are getting much better, and it's much easier to hold people accountable. Yeah. But even still, fog of war. Right. Fog of war is going to be on um, side. Yeah, and that's where I don't know. I mean, I'm not sure how it actually works, but I feel like on the world stage, the country itself should have some sort of repercussion, fine, restitution, what have you, and then. You know, for like individual soldiers, I guess that should just be handled internally and not on the world stage. Um, I mean, unless of course you have like a super villain level bad guy yeah. who, you know, single handedly like blew up an entire village of babies and kittens. Yeah. Um, you know, those rare exceptions. Um, most of it should be handled uh, internally or as internal as maybe the European Union if it's a European country um, but yeah I, I don't think honestly either side will be probably and, probably not and one of the reasons why I don't think so either is because um, it's The conflict is very internal, right? It's a very much Russia versus Ukraine thing. It's not like in World War II where you had the Nazis that were invading other countries and, you know, killing random civilians and killing Jews of other countries and everything like that. These, you know, the Ukrainians are killing Russian soldiers exclusively and the Russians are exclusively targeting, like, civilians in the country that they're going to war with. It would be another thing entirely if all of a sudden Russian drums, Russian bombs were being dropped on, like, France or something like that. Or Germany, right? Where it's like, these guys aren't involved with the war, don't drag them into it. So that's probably also going to dampen the impact or the consequences for either of those countries. Yeah. At the same time, I, uh, someone could argue, you know, since... 91, Ukraine has been its own independent country. Oh, yeah. So no. what is the difference of Russia invading Ukraine versus Russia invading France? Well, the um, difference is Russia's invading Ukraine and not France. So, <laughs> unless until Russia decides to invade France, they have no business dropping bombs on France. But technically, technically speaking, if Russia legally declares war on, for a war on Ukraine, which they have, then they are allowed, quote-unquote, to take military action that goes so far as dropping bombs. They're just not allowed to drop bombs on civilians. Right. But if, you know, if Russia were to legally declare war on France, the rest of the world would have a bigger issue. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, yeah, I can see that Russia and Ukraine have had, you know, hundreds of years of history but in the same right Ukraine has declared their independence and they nuclearly disarmed themselves to guarantee it like that's yeah a... um, I mean I get it we're going up against a madman but I, I feel like the world should be and needs to do at least a little more Yeah. if nothing else if, if for no other reason than 
to protect the rest of the world from the fallout. Because, and this is a great, great time to talk about what I wanted to talk about earlier about the grain, the what's happening with the agriculture. Yeah. Russia and Ukraine are collectively known as the breadbasket of the world because a huge portion, one third of the total grain exports in the world come from both Russia and Ukraine. Russia and Ukraine are single-handedly responsible for several dozens countries worth of grain imports. And some of them completely, some of them are completely dependent. Like uh, I think Eritrea and um, I want to say Ethiopia or one other country are like 100% dependent on Russian and Ukrainian grain imports. And when the war started, these grain imports or these grain exports from those countries shut down completely. The planting stopped, the production stopped, whatever was going on was going directly to the war effort. And for weeks, there was no grain export out of those countries, out of either Russia or um, Ukraine. And the economic sanctions placed on Russia stopped that forever from Russia, right? And then Russia's navy blocked all exports out of Ukraine. So for weeks, entire countries were going without receiving shipments of new grain. And even, you know, if it just stopped at a couple of weeks, it would have had disastrous impacts. We're talking millions of people starving. Not necessarily dead yet, but starving. It's been going on for months. I believe that I, I I thought I saw like just recently, like last week or something, they finally started new shipments of grain out from Ukraine. Mm. Like it's been going on for a while. And the effects of that are already being felt. I mean, we already have rampant inflation with grain pricing and food pricing in general. There have already been millions of people that have been suffering from food insecurity, even more so than they were before the conflict started. This is not just a Russia-Ukraine problem. This is a worldwide issue because of the millions of people that have been affected just solely based on food. And God only knows how much worse it's going to get. So... For those of you that might be thinking like, oh, it's not a problem. They can hash it out. They can duke it out themselves. No, absolutely not. This has global consequences and it very well may determine the literal fate of the world. And I mean that with no hyperbole, no exaggeration. This is a global conflict and the world stage needs to step up and deal with it as such. I don't care if we don't get directly involved. We need to put our foot down and say, we cannot let this stop innocent people from getting food. Right. But of course, that leads back to the conversation of what can we actually do about it? Uh, Hit them where it hurts, right in the oligarchs? Yeah. Because, you know, if the oligarchs aren't happy... Putin probably won't stick around. There, there's a reason I'm not into the upper echelons of politics. <laughs> I mostly care about American politics. I like to stay home. Like, internal. <laughs>
we got enough stuff going on here. Yeah, we we've, we've got more than enough stuff going on here. But again, you know, the Ukraine and Russia incident, global consequences, we got to talk about it. Yes. And we have to make sure that we are giving it the brevity that it deserves because not only is it a global thing that like millions brevity is not the right word is it not brevity would be the same like root word as brief hmm. keeping it short okay what word am i thinking of then can't think of the word but the it needs to be given the right weight and importance yeah I really like the word brevity. I don't know why. So when you said it, I'm like, wait a second. <laughs> I'm a social studies major. I'm not an English major. I don't care. <laughs> I like there. words. I like words. I like stories. All that fun stuff. Yeah. But honestly, we've been. <laughs> this will probably end up being three episodes. Probably. Because uh, we are just about to hit the three hour mark. Um, it's it's honestly a subject we could talk about for many more hours, but I think we we kind of understand how we got here and can all uh, shrug our shoulders in unison about what the hell we do next. Yeah, we've covered the history, we've covered the current. We've covered the impacts, and we have all collectively decided that there ain't a whole lot we could do about it. Yep. So, but I don't want to leave on that note. I don't want to leave on, like, the hopelessness of, like, you know, there's nothing we can do about it. Because there is something we can do about it. What we can do about it, and this is us as normal people, right? We can show our support. We can. we can let our legislators know and we can let the people of Ukraine know. Thoughts and that, prayers, right? Thoughts and prayers, yeah. <laughs> no, but we can, we can let them know that we are on their side and we can yes. let Russia know that we will not stand for this. We can do all of this in a myriad of ways. There's a lot of different ways that you can do this, one of which is direct donations, right? You can contact. mail the Kremlin a box of dog shit. That is also a thing. <laughs> um... You could contact your legislators and let yes. them know how you feel about it, and they can start putting bugs in whoever's ears that they need to about, hey, I've got so many people that have been issuing my or that have been showing support for Ukraine and that have been condemning Russia. We need to get the word out. So, all hope is not lost, and we are not a silent voice in this fight. Oh no! Just us talking about this on this podcast and getting the word out about the impacts that this war has and the history of this war is a form of protest. Yes. So there are things that you can do, my friends. So let us not despair in the hopelessness that everything is out of our control. Um, like you said, you can write any of your state and local uh, government officials you can there are plenty of donations out there um, I also saw a really cool um, uh, donation thing that I want to say it was Petco was doing is either Petco or PetSmart um, they both use red and blue and I can never remember which ones where mm. but it was one of those two guys maybe they both do it um, but it was a donation 
There's a charity they were donating to that was helping the displaced pets in Ukraine. Um, and like uh, providing like adoptions for like cats and dogs that were displaced over there as well. Because mm-hmm. um, nice. they love their animals too. Oh yeah. Um, but yes, there's tons of donations out there. You can you know, find them anywhere. I can't think of any off the top of my head, but there's a lot of great organizations that also investigate the different charities in case you wonder where your your money is going. We can we can post some links, right? On the yeah. yeah. Yeah, we'll post some yeah, links. Yeah, we'll uh, we'll post some links on our socials, so be sure to check out, you know, Facebook, Twitter, Reddit, Instagram. Um, we'll try to kind of blast it out everywhere and post it. And just in general, you know, remember, we the people do have a voice. Especially us Americans, we like uh, being as loud as we possibly can, so. <laughs> let's, I mean, other countries make fun of it, so let's put that loud voice to use, to some good use. Might as well be constructive with it. Yeah. yeah there you go. Be both annoying and constructive. <laughs> all you fine folks out there make sure uh, you show your support to Ukraine write your officials and um, don't forget to love yourself and others peace